0: Hey everyone, listen in as I make Kyle uncomfortable while we talk about lady parts, white collar crimes, and the quality control manager plays the hero.
1: In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin
0: Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the
1: sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections. Tune in,
0: check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. I'm Darcy. I'm Kyle. And the more he makes faces at me, the harder it is for me to do
1: that correctly. I have fun with that sometimes. Okay. For those that don't know, we're actually husband and wife, work together, running the company.
0: And live together and have three children together and spend a lot of time together.
1: Yes. It's fun.
0: (laughs) That's what some would say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what you got for us today?
0: Okay, Kyle is really not excited about this topic at all. Not a whole lot. And, and before we dive into it, I'm going to tell you how I came to it, which is probably going to make Kyle mad. Oh, fun. Um, so I have found a new true crime podcast oh my that gosh. I listen to. And, you know, it's usually about missing or murdered people and unsolved kind of things. But You're one, not trying
1: to get ideas to disappear me someday.
0: Maybe so one episode (laughs) was they called it like a white collar crime sure and then they mentioned the quality manager in it and then I started researching (laughs) it and I was like oh man we've got to talk about this and then I told Kyle that we were going to talk about it and he said "Mm, I'm not very excited
1: but I don't get much of a say
0: no he doesn't
1: that comes with being married though (laughs)
0: <laughs> it comes with forcing your wife into quality management and making her do a podcast. Okay, so we might go a little bit over on this, especially with all this nonsense that you guys had to be tortured with. So this is ultimately about the Dalkin Shield, which is an IUD. And for those of you that don't know what an IUD is, it's an inner uterine device, which means it is a small medical device that is inserted in a woman's uterus for birth control purposes. Okay. Okie dokie.
1: Like a medicated plug.
0: Well, you probably shouldn't talk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And to be fair, y'all, when I said this is what it was going to be and he wasn't excited, his reason was he didn't want to talk about women's parts on the show. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Okay. So... Um, the Dalkin Shield is an IUD that was developed in nineteen sixty eight by a man named Hugh Davis who was an OB gen.
1: I had no idea they existed that far back. That's kind of mind blowing okay. for me.
0: So we're gonna we're gonna go through all of this. It was developed by this OB gen, Hugh Davis, with an electrical engineer named Erwin S. Lerner. To make it and sell it, they brought in a lawyer named Robert Cohn and formed the Dalkin Corp. Corporation,
1: Because, you know, every time I think about, you know, birth control and women's body parts, medical devices, I think electrical engineer.
0: Right. Which is why I thought that was odd. <laughs> um, it was the Dalkin Shield was a white nickel sized piece of plastic that had four to five small feet on each side. Um, and it was named because it kind of resembled a policeman's badge. So... So the dates are a little bit important. So that was developed in 1968. The birth control pill was already out there for people to use. In 1969, and this is a very unfortunate name, especially related to this topic, Dr. Barbara Seaman. Oh,
1: my gosh. <laughs> to call her dr barbara i, I won't get a color dr barbara
0: well she she's very not does not play a very well it is a very important role but you know we won't talk about her too much so the iud developed by hugh davis in 1968 or his his Shield in 1969
1: barbara seaman wrote a book i'm gonna die sorry Yes, this is as childish as it seems but i'm gonna die laughing over here she
0: wrote a book called the case against the pill and it went into all the negative side effects of the birth control pill that women weren't being informed of um and it pointed out that at that time the pill had 500 percent more hormones than they do today um and there was no information given to women and when this was And even today, prescribed. the
1: hormone levels still have all sorts of crazy risks associated with them as so well. So you
0: can consider, like, in the 60s, the women are like, Ooh, this frees us, it yes. gives us the pill, we don't have to worry about being." They didn't really care if there were side effects right. or not.
1: Well, and, yeah, people didn't realize how damaging this stuff could be as well. Yeah. And, you know, it was easier for stuff to get stuffed under the rug.
0: Mm-hmm. So when this book comes out by Dr. Barbara... There is a senator named Gaylord Nelson that holds a hearing, (laughs) Kyle Stop, in 1970, and it was called the Nelson Hearings. And they were kind of just talking about, do women have enough information on this birth control pill? And it, you know, all came about from Dr. Barbara's book. In those hearings, Hugh Davis, who was the developer of the Dalkin Shield, yeah came and presented him as an presented himself as an expert and backed up Dr. Barbara's information. Yeah, Pill is terrible
1: oh, for everyone. He has no ulterior motives.
0: He was questioned. Do you have any personal interest? Nope, I'm just passionate about IUDs. He asked if he owned a patent. He said, "Nope, I co-invented one." A decade ago, nothing came of it. It was never sold. I gained nothing by being at this hearing discussing the negative side effects of the birth control pill.
1: Hmm.
0: Also praised the new IUDs as a birth control method during these hearings. Okay. Okay. Um, And I think largely out of those hearings, they decided to put a pamphlet in with a birth control with which if you're a female and you get the little pill pack, you know it comes with a 30-page long pamphlet that nobody reads and throws away. Right.
1: Um, so Risk mitigation at its best.
0: Yes. So the Dalkin Corp. didn't have a sales team. They decided we're to sell the IUD to somebody else, maybe a pharmaceutical company, whatever, we're going to sell it because we can't sell it. We're going to sell it to a company because right. we can't sell it. It um, had interest from a few sources. Ultimately, a company named A.H. Robbins won out. Um, This is a company that makes like Chapstick and Robitussin. Okay. Okay. They bought the Dalkin Shield for $750,000 in 1970-ish. Okay. Um, plus consulting fees and a royalty of 10% on all U.S. and Canadian net sales, a figure that ultimately came to $1.2 million. Okay. So, A.H. Robbins had never been in the birth control market had no familiarity with it. They had never made or sold a medical device or a gynecological product and had
1: no ob on staff. I mean, this just makes absolute complete sense here. This is very logical.
0: Um, yep. Um, so, in September of 1970... Three, I hope the sarcasm came through there. Yes, yes. Okay. Three months. I, I'm just, I, I have to stay focused. And again, this is one, I didn't get to type my notes really the way I like, so I'm just kind of reading through the articles. And I'm probably not helping you there either. <laughs> so um, in ni- September of 1970, three months after A.H. Robbins bought the Shield, International Vice President George E. Thomas said, I worry that we seem to have no present or past R&D research and development effort on contraception and contraceptive methods i worry about the fact that we have no market knowledge or experience in our company and we are prepared to learn on the job so he's worried about it the memo was marked personal and confidential oh great because they they don't want people to know (laughs) that they're worried about it
1: oh my gosh
0: there were also early questions about the new product's safety Seven months after the Dalkin Shield was being marketed worldwide, Robert S. Murphy, A.H. Robbins' vice president for scientific development, said, At present, we possess inadequate support data from animal studies as to the long term safety of the current Dalkin Shield. That was in a memo to a dozen or so company officials. Okay. So it was not. The plastic device itself, but a slender three inch long string to which it was tied okay. that's blamed for most of the suffering. Interesting, it, it caused all kinds of problems pelvic inflammatory disease, lots of excruciating pain. Right. Um, I don't want to talk about all the things yeah. it caused, it's, it's not lots really of bad a pro- problems yep.
1: when you put something in someone's body that ain't supposed to be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the thread-sized tail string allowed the wearer to make sure the device was in place and ease its removal.
1: I didn't, I wouldn't imagine this, never mind.
0: So, um, didn't now, think this
1: was a do-it-yourself type thing.
0: I don't know that it was so that they could remove it. I don't know. Okay. I think maybe it made it easier for the doctor to remove it. Okay. okay. Um, so now i'm going to specifically name lady parts because we have to talk about the thread and why it's bad okay the thread ran from the vagina a harbor for bacteria Mm -hmm. to the sterile uterus
1: okay so now you have an open conduit to go in there
0: right okay so other (coughs) iud's used a monofilament string Which, when I think about that, I think about, like, fishing line. Is that monofilament? it is. (laughs) Okay. It is. Okay.
1: And it's much harder because there's less for the bacteria to grab on and grow on up. Well,
0: so the Dalkin shield string (coughs) appeared to be monofilament when you just looked at it, but ultimately it was made of hundreds of tiny filaments covered by an open-ended sheath. So the little spaces between the filaments provided a ladder-like entry... For bacteria to ascend from the vagina into the uterus, they called it the wicking tendency, which would cause infection.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: A.H. Robbins placed two knots in the string to block the bacteria.
1: (laughs) You're kidding me. I can't even say that with a string. (laughs) You're kidding me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean,
0: I hate to laugh at this because so many women had so many bad things happen to them. And had children born with birth defects, had
1: I can't imagine. Terrible miscarriage. I can't like imagine. awful
0: things happen.
1: But the fact that someone thinks we'll just tie a knot in it, that will stop microscopic bacteria. They'll see the knot. Oh we can't pass that.
0: Yeah. So before Age Robbins bought the Dalkin Shield, their pharmaceutical chemist, Oscar Cleo's, discussed it with Erwin Lerner, the president of the Dalkin Corp. I think he was the um wasn't he the engineer? Yes, he was the electrical engineer. Oh, my gosh. Um, on June 8, 1970, four days before Robbins acquired the right to the device, Cleo's told Robbins, executives, the device has not been subjected to any formal stability testing, and we don't know how long it's going to stand up under prolonged use in the wet, acidic environment of the body so what this is like three different people within ah robbins own company that says i don't know about this
1: oh my gosh not to mention the people that are buying it who have no training skills experience expertise at all
0: yeah nobody yeah mm -hmm. so (laughs) 17 days after ah robbins acquired the device there was an orientation report cautioning about the string and said the string or tell situation Needs a careful review since the present tell is reported by Mr. Lerner to have a wicking tendency. Okay. So they knew this 17 days after they bought it. An official reviewed the medical literature and concluded that the string did not pose a hazard. And that view is still held by the company. Wow. Oh, and to note, this article was written in 1985. So that's not like presently today. today, That's as of 1985. Still. Um, 12 weeks after A.H. Robin began selling the Dalkin Shield in 1971, a salesman for them, Walter W. Schoenberger, sent the medical department a query. What is our Dalkin string made of? Competition is telling my doctors that it will break... It will fray easily and that it is is multi-layered so that the inner core acts as a wick to induce infection into the uterus.
1: Oh, my gosh. So it was five times now? Within a two, three month period of time? Uh, Maybe six months, seven months.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. The answer came from Robin's quality assurance manager, David Mefford. The string is composed of a multifilament surgical suture enclosed in a nylon sheath. Okay. That same month, another Robbins employee, E. Wayne Crowder, said he began asking questions about the shield. He was in charge of quality control at a um, Virginia plant where the device was being assembled. This facility also made the chapstick. It was called the chapstick plant. Oh, yeah, because,
1: you know, we we don't need to keep things mm -hmm. segregated. Yeah, okay.
0: Crowder said... He observed two workers tying string to a piece of plastic. I thought it was a fishing lure.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> the, workers, the workers were attaching the string to the body of the IUD. Crowder testified there were no quality control procedures at this time. And I can only imagine gosh. that they're doing this barehanded. Oh, yeah. And i mean of course it's in the early 70s is there even machinery to do that you know no quality control going on so crowder our quality
1: at this point in time we had already sent people to the moon so it's not like this was a non-technological time
0: also medical devices are a brand new thing
1: Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Not 100 years I ago. I am just, okay. uh,
0: if I remember the story correctly, I'm proud of Crowder, who is the quality control guy for this Virginia plant. Okay. So he wanted to learn more about the shield. So he visited the original shield plant that was in Connecticut. There, the Dalkin Corps president, Lerner, the electrical engineer, told him the two knots in the string form a barrier against any possible wicking tendency. He's an electrical engineer.
1: Let's just think. I mean, bacteria are tiny. Yes. They're tiny. Yes. And they have literally like little, it's not a tail, but it's like a tail. It's what called a flagellum. And they can literally swim and propel themselves. Right,
0: And it has this ladder-like <coughs> tendency for it to just go on. So you
1: think about the size of a knot compared to the size of a bacteria. Mm-hmm. It's like.
0: And I wonder, you know, here it's Lerner, the electrical engineer. Why isn't anybody going, why are we listening to him? He's not a medical guy. He's not a doctor. He's not a nurse. He doesn't have any medical training.
1: I think those same questions have been asked recently with the whole COVID pandemic. So apparently we've not learned everything that should have been learned.
0: So uh, we're going to skip over that comment. So Crowder is one that he he was skeptical. And he's like, I don't... I'm not buying this two-knot thing. Yep. So he touched the flame of his cigarette lighter to an open string end. It shriveled into a solid bead. Yeah. I see... And this is Crowder talking. I suggested that heat might be a more positive means of sealing the knot... Than the knots. It's a good thought. Lerner said he would think about it.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: So Crowder goes back to Virginia. He demonstrates the heat sealing to the chapstick president... (laughs)
1: Like, you couldn't make this up. Oh, my gosh. Whose name
0: is Daniel E. French and speculated that the string caused infection and could be extremely serious if a pregnancy should occur. So Crowder is thinking about these women. Dude's got a good head on his shoulders. Crowder said that French, the chapstick president, termed his concern reasonable while predicting that Robbins wouldn't go for it, meaning the heat ceiling. He said they had too much time and money invested in testing of the present configuration.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So, an A.H. Robbins spokesperson said, and I don't know if this was like later during trials. There is no question that inside our company there were people who were not scientists who believe the Dowkin Shield tailstring might wick, but it is up to scientists in the medical department to determine if this claim of wicking was valid. So basically they're Let saying me just pass the buck. they're saying, Yeah, Crowder had questions, yeah. but he's not a medical expert. But we're gonna listen to Lerner, who's an electrical engineer and also not a medical expert. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. So um In April of 1971, according to Crowder's testimony and later trials, he spotted small holes in the sheath encasing the string and told his boss, I'm concerned these holes are going to let bacteria in. Oh, yeah.
1: So it's not just the one on the end. Now we've got them throughout the structure. Yes. (laughs)
0: His boss, his boss's response was that the design of the device wasn't my responsibility and to leave it alone.
1: I can't comment.
0: Crowder said he did not leave it alone. Well, thank goodness. In June, he conducted two primitive tests to see if the string acted as a wick.
1: Good for him.
0: Um, And it described, you know, he put a string in a beaker of water. Several hours later, he removed and dried it and milked the immersed end of the string with my thumbnail and produced a small drop of water. The second test showed that after a few days' submersion, water would seep through the knot.
1: Oh my gosh! Like so, the, I, I mean, assume
0: he brought these to his boss. Let's just think about how
1: <laughs> stupidly rudimentary his tests are. Right. For anyone else to say that they have done have money tied up in research and testing. What? Because
0: well, they're paying the medical experts. Oh. My and the gosh. electrical engineer. <laughs>
1: where you couldn't make this So up. Crowder
0: said his boss, so I guess he went and shared these results with his boss. Crowder said his boss reminded me as before that it wasn't my responsibility. I told him that I couldn't, in good conscience, not say something that I felt could cause infections. Yeah. And he said that my conscience didn't pay my salary. Ooh. He referred to my persistent insubordination and said that if I valued my job, I would do as I was told. Now, this is one person's testimony. Still. So, like Crowder, the chapstick president, Mr. French, was also concerned. So, he phoned a physician liaison, Ellen J. Preston, on August 5th, 1971. Four days later, Preston wrote in a memo of that conversation, Mr. French says the reason given for the sheath is that it provides protection against bacterial invasion. He points out, however, that both ends of the string are cut and left open. It has been shown that the open ends will wick water. It seems to him, if this is so, that the ends will wick body fluids containing bacteria. Crowder was fired from the company in 1978. And and granted, that's, what, seven years after all this, but obviously it was going on for seven years. Um, And it says, and now, so as of 1982, was suing it in a contract dispute. Um, Crowder's heat sealing concept was not forgotten. In December of 1974, so three years after all this, five months after the Dalkin Shield sales were halted in the United States, A.H. Robbins' Ellen Preston sent a memo to the company's medical director and said, it is too late to heat seal now. We need to abandon the multi-filament string. Heat sealing would have been a good thing to have done four years ago.
1: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Like, you couldn't have made up. No, you couldn't. I mean, this is, dadgum, nearly everything that could go wrong.
0: So, again, this article was written, this is from the Washington Post, and I'm sure we can link it, in 1985. And at that time, at least 18 American women who used it died. Others lost their fertility or delivered children with physical defects and brain damage. Nearly a million women overseas used this advice. Many of them lived in countries where medical conditions were unsophisticated and fatal complications were more likely. Yeah. So, since last October, so October of 1984, more than 3,200 women had the devices removed. More than 12,000 women in the U.S. have sued or brought claims against A.H. Robbins. Um, At the end of 84, there were more than 3,800 suits and claims pending against Robbins and more being filed at a rate of nearly 10 a day. Jeez. Robins set up $615 million reserve fund to handle future settlements and court judgments. And um, so far, thirty well, so far in 1985, 3,700 SHIELD-related claims have been settled out of court. In all, Robbins and its insurance company have paid out $314.6 million. And that was of 85? 85. 85. So, you know, they had too much money tied up in research and development. <laughs> So oh I, you know, I, I know that was probably a little more female parts than.
1: No, I mean this was fine. I mean, but yeah. I was just so
0: proud yeah. that it was the quality control guy that came out and said over and over and ultimately lost his job over it. Oh well, we assume we don't know everything that happened in between. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I, it was just unbelievable to me. That's crazy. And, and it's unbelievable because. There are probably still so many companies out there doing so many things yeah. like this.
1: Now it's not to, you know, paint this bad mark on, you know, pharmaceutical or medical companies. That that's that's not the goal there. It's but it's, if you look up the history of it though, <clears throat> the industry that has received the most lawsuits in America are pharmaceutical and medical devices.
0: Well, I think I read I read a couple of articles about this, and I only referred to this one from Washington Post because both of them were really very similar in their yep. reporting. Um, but I think medical device Was procedures, fairly neat thing. yeah, were written as a result of this yep. situation, if I remember correctly. And truth be told, I prepared for this episode. A couple right. of weeks ago, and then we weren't able to record, and right. so I'm not absolutely no. sure, but um, it's still
1: fascinating. There's tons of good lessons to learn here, and I do I love that it's the quality control guy that you know if there's a hero the of the story, thing. yeah. <laughs> but but really, this is look. I'm I'm not trying to give open license to go. You know, for every quality manager and quality control manager out there to go start questioning your boss, your management. But daggum, ask questions, understand things. The more questions you ask, the more you understand, the more likely you're able to help improve the situation, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And if you see something that you don't think is right, do bring it up.
0: Well, and I am thankful that he brought it up because, again, this is in the time of the 70s where, like, women's rights was still kind Mm -hmm. of a thing and women's independence Mm -hmm. and women's Mm -hmm. lib and all this. So... You know to see a man like concerned about the health of women I, yeah and just saying like i cannot and you know it could have been very selfish of him like i'm the quality control guy this is going to come back i'm going to be the fall guy if we keep producing and making this yeah could have been right but whatever the case he's the guy that said hey something's yeah. got to be done here
1: no i I, I'm surprised. This was a much, much better episode than I uh, than I thought it would be. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and discuss this. I think this it brings up a lot of good questions, a lot of ideas, and I could probably talk about it forever more. But uh, we're already
0: over. <laughs> yeah, so
1: we'll end it there. All right, thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Kyle with Texas Quality Assurance here for the Quality Matters Podcast. want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you're listening, we know that you understand that quality matters in your organization. Heck, quality matters at home, at church, our government, you name it. But if you are like so many other organizations that we work with and are having a hard time getting that message across to your team or perhaps just struggling with the implementation of a system, let us know our coaching and training systems are available for use for you so that we can help you put the edge of quality in your organization so you can get back to doing work that matters.